So let me read you a quick faith promise story, and then I want to talk about what that is, and I want to tie it into what you just saw, the story, and, uh, and why we want to uh, be able to start supporting CareNet this year as part of our missions giving. Uh, so th- this story just came in this week. We've got another one lined up already for next week, and I hope that as your faith promise story plays out that you're going to send it in so we can read it too. We take out your names and details so that it protects your, your anonymity. That's important to us. Uh, so here it is. It says, to be honest, I never thought we would have a faith promise story. We have been struggling financially for a while. We would see some breakthroughs, and then we would end up in the same place over and over again. So needless to say, we haven't given the way our hearts wanted to give. We were determined that this year we were going to get it right this time. So we joined the financial life group to learn Dave Ramsey's principles, and we purposed to give our full tithe, give to missions, sponsor a child in the DR, and participate in Faith Promise. Come on, those are great goals, right? You can clap for that. It says, in our minds, we were thinking, okay, we'll save, right, through this, these new, new disciplines for finances, we'll save, we'll take care of some outstanding bills and some expenses they knew that were coming up, and whatever is left will go toward our faith promise. Well, a week after receiving an award through my work, things begin to change. I've been promoted, I got a 6% increase in pay. And then on Monday, this is just this week, I was called into my manager's office where he handed me a letter from our vice president of engineering and design stating that I would receive an additional 7% of my new salary as a bonus. Come on, right? So good. It says, I sat in his office crying because I was overwhelmed by God's favor and grace. Now our faith promise is fulfilled, rejoicing in the favor of the Lord. Come on. I know. So, you know, we do, we've been doing Faith Promise for about 10 years here at City Life. And Faith Promise is you pray, God gives you a number, and then you believe by faith that he's going to provide it. You don't know how it's going to come in. And then you make a promise that when something like this happens, that you're going to give that money to Faith Promise. And all of that money goes into missions. 100% of money that comes into Faith Promise, 100% of that goes back out. None of it stays here with the church, not even a penny. And so the, the other part of Faith Promise this year is that we ask people to commit to a monthly amount of giving to missions. And so if you've not filled out a Faith Promise card yet, again, there's two places on there. We hope that you do that. So there's a faith promise just like what we read. And then there's a second part where we're saying it's not about faith. It's about sacrifice. It's you looking at your budget and saying, I can do $25 a month to give to missions. And if all of us do what we can, I'm telling you, we can have a huge impact. So the story that you just saw on there, CareNet. CareNet is right here. It's the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's right here in Newport News. They service the entire region of the 757. There's not another one out there doing what they're doing. They're on our waiting list. We want to bring them on. We have people that we have been supporting for years, and we want to increase the level of support. And so we're trusting that this is going to happen to you. You're going to have a story like that, and this is going to be the most generous year of faith promise that we've ever seen. Uh, For example, for Marvin Thomas. Where's Marvin? Just got back from Haiti. Come on. So good. So we're going to schedule a time for him to share in the coming weeks because uh, he was down there building the school that you all gave so generously to, if you remember that. So he's going to be able to come and give a report and uh, have some pictures that you can see uh, where your money went to. All of that comes through Faith Promise Giving. I was just thinking, because he just got back and uh, during worship, I was just thinking about this moment. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go with Marvin to build a bridge in Haiti. And uh, and so we were there one night. We'd been working all day. We're in the 
kitchen of this home that we're, we're, we're staying in, this, this cinder block building in the pastor's house where we slept. And, uh, and we were standing there praying, and I felt this tingling sensation on the top of my head. And I thought, something supernatural is about ready to happen. Like, I mean, it was real. Like, I felt a tingling on my head. And, and then it began to spread, and I opened my eyes, and I looked up. And then I realized it was just a bare electrical wire that was touching my bald spot that was right next to the light bulb, right? And, and, and I started to laugh because, because I got excited that something extravagant was going to happen. And I had this, because God was saying to me, hey, you've got to find the extravagant and just serving people. In this world, with your life, making sacrifices, not being a slave to your comfort, and doing things that you maybe thought I could never do. So if you've never been on a foreign missions trip, there's lots of opportunity. You should go at least once in your life so that you can get electrocuted during a dinner prayer with a bare wire. So how about, can we just say thing? We're going to talk about worship a lot tonight, but how about Alexis Pinos? Is she in here? Where is Alexis? Right? During that third song, she sounded just wonderful. High school. High school. Come on. Amazing. I think there's some birthdays in here. I'm not the only one. Satai. Where's Satai? Right. Now, although his Facebook page says that he's 27, he is not. Right? You're looking at him like, he's making 27 look good. Right? All right. So I don't know what's going on there. Parents, you've got to figure that out, right? That's trouble. Some ladies are going to be looking at that website. He's a teenager. Stay away. Stay away. Protecting my friend. Protecting my friend. So good. This is part of our, our strategy as churches that we embarrass the youth, right? It's good for them. It's good for them. It's good for them. When you're 50, you just don't care anymore. That's really what it's about. And I was, I was telling, joking with Marvin early and a couple of the people, the, the new pastor here at North Riverside Baptist Church, I ran into him in the hallway and he said, happy birthday, it was on Thursday, and, uh, and, and uh, he's, he's in his mid-50s, and he said, you know, somebody asked me when I turned 50 uh, if it felt different than 49, and he said, it really doesn't, and I said, no, it, it doesn't, I feel the same. He said, but it does feel a lot different from 35, <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, you're right, you got me there, you got me there. You got me there. So, hey, we are in a series that we just launched last week. We're excited about this series. Uh, it's, we're we're going to be preaching just on our discipleship model. I'm not sure what direction it's going to go in week to week. We're talking about a virtue, the virtue of peace. Last week, we're going to do part two of that. This week, I think next week, we're going to move from a virtue and pick up uh, a conversation on a pathway called gathering. Uh, I think I've just decided I'm not going to hurry through this series. I don't, so I don't know how long we're going to be in it. There's so many different different aspects of our discipleship model that we just want to explore together. So I'm going to give a little bit of introduction, but if you're new to the church or if you've got questions about our discipleship model, we launched a new website called letspraxis.com, and you can go there and everything that you could ever hope to find out is going to be there. It's based on four numbers, the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. It says, when Jesus invites me to be his disciple, he expects me to obey his Command. So there is an invitation, that's the one. And then he expects me to obey his commands, that's the six. There are six foundational commands to Christianity. And when I obey those commands, I walk in spiritual pathways. There's 24 of those. Again, we're going to pick up a conversation about gathering next week. And when I walk in those pathways, I become a virtuous person. That's the 24, the 24 virtues. So when I accept the one, I obey the six, and to obey the six, I walk in the 12. When I walk in the 12, I become the 24. It is the ultimate measure of my progress as a disciple, is the formation of the character of Christ that's inside of me. 
the notes for this as we do every week. I like to say it every week because we have visitors every week that we are probably going to move faster than you would prefer if you're a note taker, but you can download the PDF and all these scripture references are on there. So the five great growth lists in the Bible, which was identified by one of our great modern day biblical scholars, Dr. George Wood, uh, he came up with, with these five lists of virtues. It's in Matthew 5, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, and 2 Peter 1. Galatians 5 gets all the attention in Christianity because that's the one that specifically is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. But all of these could be entitled the fruit of the Spirit because all of these give us a comprehensive list of the virtues of the character of Christ. And what we've done is that we've studied them and we've taken out the overlap and you end up with 24 virtues. And what we see as a church, that's what I want to look like. So Father, as we continue in this series tonight, as we dig into your word, as we say so often, we want your word to dig into us. Father, we want to see the character of Christ formed in us, and we don't want to just live our days with some sense of, of I hope it happens, that you want us to have a sense of being empowered, that you want us to know that there is a, a journey that we can begin to undertake that is intentional so that we can see the character of Christ forming in our lives. Amen. So, so last week, we, 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 in digging into peace, we, we kind of discovered through the story of Gideon, which we're going back into tonight, that there is a powerful correlation. There's a powerful connection between peace that I want in my circumstance, right? Outward peace. That when I'm in a situation that's chaotic, when I'm in a situation that's, that's distressful, that's disturbing, and I want there to be peace that's brought to that circumstance and that situation, that so oftentimes God looks at us and says, you be the source of peace that needs to be in that circumstance. This idea that the virtue of peace in me becomes the source of peace in my situation. So you can study that if you want to by looking on to the podcast and you can get these notes. So we kind of unpacked the word shalom last week. So we want to just lay a foundation because this is a continuation of last week's message. We talked about this word shalom that in the Hebrew that translates peace. It's a big word because it means tranquility, right? Just this idea of a, a sense of peacefulness in my life. It can mean that I'm, this idea of tranquility is not just externally, but there's a sense of prospering in my life. This idea of shalom means that I'm, I'm experiencing victory over my enemies, meaning that there's justice being served and there's peace that comes through victory when God advocates for us. There is the idea of peace amongst the people of God, and then there is the idea of peace that I feel when I'm reconciled to God through Christ. Shalom can mean any of those it can mean all of those or it can be a combination of those. Last week we talked about this idea that sometimes God says, I'm going to let you experience something before I ask you to believe in it. And then there's other times where he says, no, you've got to believe if you want to experience. And peace is one of those things. He says to us, you've got to have faith that peace is possible if you want to experience it. And we saw that through the life of Gideon. And then like we said before, that there's the, the expectation that God says to you and to me that as devoted followers of Christ, we want to see the virtue of peace formed in us so that we can be the source of peace, not just in our situation, but in the situation of other people. We see people distressed. We see people, whether it's neighbors or family members or, or, or church family, that, that, that their situation is just distressful and disturbing, that God might call you to be the person that steps into that situation because of the virtue of peace in you, that you bring peace to that storm. So, so the question that we're asking tonight is when we look into the story of Gideon, 
do we find any specific examples of how we can intentionally form the virtue of peace in us? Meaning that, are there some steps that I can take? Are there some actions that I can take? Are there specific things that I can do? And when I do them, I will begin to see the virtue of peace forming in me. And do we find anything in the story of Gideon and, and along those lines that, that, that speaks to the truth of our discipleship model? And I believe that we do. So we're going to see tonight that there are two kinds of altars in the Old Testament. Both are expressions of worship. And that if I want the virtue of peace in my life, then I've got to give myself to the pathway of worship. When Jesus invites me to be his disciple, he expects me to obey his commands. I obey those commands by walking in spiritual pathways. And when I walk in those pathways, worship is one of the 12. I become a virtuous person and peace is one of those virtues, the ultimate measure of progress in my life. So somebody say altars that declare. declare. Say it again, altars that declare. So let me read Judges 6.24. Again, we... Introduced ourselves to Gideon last week. Now we're building on it this week. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord and there and named it Yahweh Shalom or Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. I believe that in the story of Gideon, God makes the theme of peace and the theme of worship. He puts them together to coexist in this story because he's trying to teach us this important principle that when I give my life to the pathway of worship, I will begin to see the virtue of peace developing in me. Now, you can say that about every pathway and every virtue. That's what we believe about our discipleship model. But then there are moments where God drills down on individual pathways and individual virtues. I would call this a fill-in-the-blank moment. You can put any pathway in that fill-in-the-blank and any virtue in that fill-in-the-blank. But God chooses to give us something specific to teach us the principle so that we can begin to apply that principle in every other area of our life. As I give myself to worship, I will experience the virtue of peace building in my life. In fact, what God is saying to us, Gideon was a man of peace because he was a man of worship. Altars that declare. Joshua Four, one through nine. So we're moving back in time. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, go into the middle of the Jordan and in front of the ark of the Lord of your God, and each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across, right? It's the second time in the story of the Exodus where God does the miracle of parting of the waters. He first did it for the Red Sea and for Moses, and now he does it for Joshua crossing the Jordan. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. 
So the men did as Joshua had commanded them, and they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones, so the second one. Another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests had carried the Ark of the Covenant, and they are still there, the Bible says, even unto this day. These are altars of declaration. We're familiar with the idea of altars in the Old Testament that are altars of sacrifice, and we're going to get to that. But not every altar that was built in the Old Testament was for the purpose of sacrificing something. There were altars of sacrifice, and there were altars of declaration. There were altars for the purpose of sacrificing something according to the Mosaic law, but then there were other times where they built an altar. They were similar in how they were constructed. They were similar in how they were built. But this altar over here is not for sacrifice. This is just an altar that is a memorial to declare things that you believe about God. So we understand, as we're going to get into tonight, and maybe it's new for some of you, that we don't operate under an animal sacrificial system anymore, right? Except for the ones we eat. Praise the Lord. Come on. Amen. Right? So, but we, we, don't, we don't do that. But, but it doesn't mean that we don't worship through sacrifice still. We, we don't build memorials of stone to God like they did in the Old Testament, but it doesn't mean that we don't still have to give ourselves to the act of declaring the goodness of God in moments of worship. I have to build altars of declaration and altars of sacrifice if I'm going to move in the wholeness of worship so that the virtue of peace can be formed in my life. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Listen to what Paul says. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. It's a fill in the blank moment. Can can we just, just in case you're wondering, you can't say, the Bible says I can't be drunk with wine, but it doesn't say anything about martinis. It doesn't say that. The the emphasis is on intoxication. Don't, Don't get that confused. Don't be drunk with wine because you will ruin your life. Listen, I love Paul, right? A lot of times when he gives a prohibition, he says, no, no, this is what you should be doing. So he gives us a don't, but then he follows it with a do. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts as long as you can sing good. Is that what your Bible says? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts as long as you can pass the tryout that Chris House gives to be a part of the worship team for City Life Church. No, 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 no. There's an expectation and a standard of excellence to lead people in worship. There's also an expectation that every person like myself, who you do not want to hear me sing, that there's an expectation that I give myself to a life of worship. I don't get to say, because I really can't sing, that's not my thing, I don't have to worship. No, no, no. Because it's not my thing means it might not be the place where I serve, it might not be my sacrifice, it might not be the place where I lead, but the pathway of worship, the altar of declaration, has got to be present in all of our lives, all the time, especially if I want to see the virtue of peace built in my life. Colossians 3.16 Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Here it comes again. 
sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Don't you love that Paul doesn't talk at all when he's giving these exhortations about worship about ability? He, he did, now, he does that in other parts, right? He does that in 1 Corinthians 12. He does it in Romans 12 because that's where he's talking about finding your sense of calling. That's where he's talking about finding your sense of purpose. It's like Eric Reese's book, In Shape, which we love that book, which talks about spiritual gifts, heart's desire, natural abilities, personality, and life experiences. That's when you're talking about what, what has God created you to do in the kingdom of heaven. But what I'm created to do in the kingdom of heaven is not a per- per- permission slip to not do any of the other pathways that are not part of my divine calling. All of us have to sing. All of us are supposed to worship. All of us are supposed to, listen to what it says, to have a sense of your life being full with the revelation of the richness. If your life is full with the revelation of the richness of Christ, Really, what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to tell you to be quiet. Are you tracking with me? Your life is full with the revelation of the richness of Christ. It should be since that I just, I can't stop singing. I can't stop worshiping. I can't stop building these monuments and memorials of, 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 of the goodness of God through the words that I speak. The stones are not what we're looking for anymore. It's the words that are flowing out of our lives. Jesus said, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth will speak. I want to be a person that's building altar after altar after altar after altar with the words that are flowing out of my life because I'm full of a revelation of the richness of Christ. Think about all the songs we sing on Saturdays together. Some of you have been here even longer than we have, and we've been here for almost 10 years. Think about all the songs that we have sung together, right? Ten years of worshiping to a decade. Leaders, meetings, life group, church services, conferences, and camps, right? Can we just, we are committed to filling the 757 with altars of declaration. You might not be able to see it with your physical eye, but the city should be a different place because the City Life Church is here worshiping our creator These are modern moments of building altars before God that declare what we believe about him. This pathway of worship builds in us the virtue of peace. Many of you, somebody say it's about to get personal. Many of you are lacking the virtue of peace because you're neglecting the altar of declaration. As you look into your life, the virtue of peace is missing And the reason it's missing is because the altar of declaration is absent. So one of the things that we did for our 50th birthday, I love movies. When I say I love movies, I love movies, right? I want to pick which, I want to know which actually theater it's going to be in, wherever it's playing. I've got uh, apps that I use on my phone. I want to know which row I'm going to sit in, the sound system that's in there. I know, I'm a little bit weird, but it's like when you're 50, you don't care anymore. It's just out there. So... So, so, so weeks ago, we went out with a, a bunch of the couples from the governance team and some couples from the regional team for a dinner, and, and then I had planned which movie theater, and somebody said, you're doing a whole lot of work for your 50th birthday. I was like, well, that's who I am. I'm just controlling. I can't help it, right? 
And so uh, we had it picked out because the new King Kong came out, right? And so, so I wanted to go to, to Hampton AMC, has a new theater with a new sound system. Maybe it's been there for about a year, but it's still relatively new. Unbelievable sound system in there. Unbelievable sound system. And then I like Paragon too, so I'm not throwing any shade in case Wayne is here, who's a manager at Paragon. So, but I'm six foot three, so the seats at the Paragon, my, my neck is like this the whole time. Like the seats are not made for people that are especially tall. And so Hampton, the back's just a little bit lower. I know you're getting a really glimpse of my OCD right here, but welcome to the City Life Church, all of you who are new members. And so, so we're getting ready, I kid you not, we're getting ready to walk out the door. I, I bought those 10 tickets weeks ago, had which row we were going to sit in. We're right in the middle, in the center, right, perfect field of view. And right when we're walking out of the house, I get a email that says all of our money for those tickets have been refunded because they made a mistake with the showtimes on the Fandango website. The stream of curse words that flowed from my mouth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I was, I was so frustrated, right? Because you work, right? You only turn 50 one time and we worked so hard to put this evening together. And so uh, we ended up, we had to go to a much later show and we did end up at the Paragon. It was a, 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 just a crazy fun movie. Why am I telling you this? Because part of the movie experience nowadays is you get a reserved seat. You know what that means? It means you show up whenever you want and you're guaranteed for that spot. And if somebody's in your seat, you can tell them they need to move. When I was growing up, if you wanted a good seat in the movie theater and it was a movie that everybody else wanted to see, you came early. You stood in a line because you can't, you don't want to sit on the floor, right? And watch the movie like this. You got, you, you, you want to be in a certain place. And then you know what else you have to do? You have to endure all the commercials. You got to watch all the previews, right? You, you got to, you have to, they, they are able to force stuff upon you because they know you have you trapped. But that's not what it's like today. You don't have to have a ticket. I just have it on my phone. You just walk up and they scan it. You just go right and you can walk in right when you know the movie's getting ready to start and sit in your assigned seat. For some of you, that's what you do with church week in and week out. Worship for you are the previews and the commercials before it gets to the part that you're really coming for. And what I'm saying is you got to stop treating God that way. you got to stop treating God that way. From the moment this service starts, everything that happens is important for you. And the worship has got to be just as important to you as the word. Now, you might have this part of you that loves to learn, and so you, you might look forward more to the message, but then there might be part of you that you endure the message, right? So that you can have the worship. And for sometimes those people, they just leave early. That's another sermon for another time. If you neglect the altar of declaration in your life, you're neglecting your character. You're neglecting virtue. And you're especially neglecting the virtue of peace. Come early. Stay late. Get everything out that this service is intentionally designed to give to you. You might be resistant to engage in worship because you're, you're, you're not about the style of worship that we have here. Maybe the kind of music that we do here. Let me Music for us and worship for us here at the City Life Church, you've heard me say this before and I'm going to preach it until the day that I die, is that it is a generational tether for us. 
Too many churches are dying because their attitude towards the young people is that you've got to wait your turn. And there are certain parts of this church they are designed specifically for the next generation. And we're going to celebrate it, even if it's not your preference. What you should prefer is that there is a generation of people that are here that are excited about Christ. It might be louder than you prefer. It might be more intense than you prefer. It might be lots of other things that you would fill in the blank that you would prefer. But at some point, you should look around this room and see people that are a lot younger than you are who are excited for Jesus, and that should cause you to want to worship your God. For some of you, you're hesitant to engage in worship because you don't like to feel conspicuous. I understand that. Don't tell me that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is, is, is about not ever being conspicuous with your faith because that is not what Jesus was talking about. His idea about praying in a closet and not praying publicly and, and, and hiding, giving, and all, his, he, the reason he said those things is not because he wanted to make Christianity some private expression. It's because he was railing against the people who were only doing it in public for attention. He's saying if you've got a problem with drawing attention to yourself, then this is what you should be doing. But what we, we should be doing is not trying to draw attention to ourselves because we're trying to draw attention to God. And then the way that we do that oftentimes is public as it is indicated through the entire rest of the New Testament. When we read these, these, these texts out of Colossians and, and Ephesians, Paul did not give the caveat, and when you sing, sing quietly off to yourself, all, only alone. No, no, no. The expectation, what Paul was saying is, no, when you gather corporately for worship, worship, sing, be seen, be conspicuous. My personality cannot be permission to not engage in the expectations that the Bible gives to me. I've got to overcome my insecurities. I've got to be willing to overcome my feelings of being conspicuous. And if you say, well, Fred, if I do that, I might risk becoming that person that draws attention to myself. Well, that's part of what being in a loving community is all about, that there are people that love you enough to whisper that in your ear to help draw you back. If that's your blind spot, then you need the relationships in your life that are going to help protect you from that. I can't let the fear of what I might become rob me of what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment. The altar of declaration. You have got to make this part of your journey. And if all of this is new for you, then take small steps. But take them. But take them. It might be for you taking your hand out of your pockets. A small step for you might actually be beginning to say the words that are on the screen quietly, but just participating. It might be that you just begin to raise your hands. The Bible, the book of Psalms, talks so much about body posturing and worship and prayer because when we begin to posture our bodies in certain ways, it does something to our hearts. That's why you get on your knee, man, when you propose to your wife. There's something about body posturing that prepares you to submitting to her for the rest of your life. Thank you, honey. <laughs> it's good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fist pump right there. Just making sure you're awake out there. Some of you aren't. Some of you aren't. You, you just, you, you just got to start doing it. You just have to start doing it. It might take years before you get there. But what I'm saying to you is get there. Get there. The worship here at this church, we're not striving to be contemporary. We're striving to be ancient. 
When you read the book of Psalms, you know what kind of worship they did? They did it loud. They did it with instruments. They did it in public ways. And they did it a heck of a lot longer than we do. And you've got it easy. You've got it easy. 50 and don't care. Change the title for this message. It's no longer Peace Part 2. It's 50 and don't care. Somebody say altars that sacrifice. Judges 6, 25 to 26. That night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, and pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole. Asherah poles were used as an expression of worship. They were like altars in a pagan Canaanite religion. Then he says, then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sounds a lot, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Altars of declaration were so similar to altars of sacrifice, but they had such a different purpose. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole. Isn't God great? If you're looking for wood, then cut down those pagan altars and burn that junk to make the sacrifice to me. So I, I got their permission. Where's Greg and Becky Choate? They're back there. Raise their hand. We had dinner with him recently. He works for Smithfield Foods, and he was telling this hilarious story about when he was in college, he ran the slaughterhouse of the college that he attended. This is what his, his, all of his degrees are in, in the, the, the meat industry. And so, so when they were dating, she would come, and they would meet for lunch. Oh, yeah. That's good, isn't it, Jamal? And he looked like someone you would expect to look who works in a slaughterhouse. He was just covered in blood, right? All, just all, oh, I know, right? Gross. And, and, but they were in love, so it didn't matter. Right? So he's there. He's got blood all over him, right? And he's just there eating his lunch. And she's looking at him and thinking, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. And they're sharing their lunch. And he's just, right, just covered. It's a great picture, isn't it? I think sometimes we read these stories about sacrifice, we forget it was bloody, they were slaughtering huge, massive animals, bulls and sheep and goats. Sometimes when you read stories in the Bible, they would sacrifice thousands of animals in one day. What do you think those priests look like? I'll tell you what they look like. They looked like Greg in college. <laughs> Covered in blood everywhere. Running in the streets, all over the people. It was an unbelievable scene. Now, all of that was extravagant and excessive because it's pointing to the coming of the sacrifice of Christ. That's another sermon for another time. What, what I'm saying to you is part of this idea of the altar of sacrifice is that stuff has to die. And it's not always pretty. It can't be an altar of sacrifice unless there's death. And the measure of whether or not enough is dying is, I think, sometimes has it gotten ugly enough in parts of your life that you need to get rid of. If it's only ever neat and clean, then what I would say to you is that you might not be dying enough. Joshua 8, 30 to 32 then Joshua built an altar to the Lord and the God of Israel on Mount Ebal. We did a whole Easter sermon out of this text a couple of years ago. 
He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from stones that are uncut and have not been shaped with iron tools. This is a, right there, another sermon for another time, but a powerful prophetic imagery of how people are supposed to build the church. We're not supposed to try to change everybody. You're supposed to recognize who God's made them to be and then begin to fit them together. Then on the altar they presented burnt offerings and gas peace offerings. See, this idea of peace and worship, they just go hand in hand. Peace offerings to the Lord. And as Israel watched, Joshua copied onto the stones of the altar the instructions that Moses had given to them. Sacrifice is hard because sacrifice means that something has to die. And oftentimes what needs to die is something that we cherish. Or rather, should I say, we don't cherish it, we idolize it, and that's why it has to go. Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you, and let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. That would be better translated, a way to worship him. See, in the same way that we build altars of declaration through our songs, it's, it's that now we build altars of sacrifice, not through killing animals, but by finding the stuff that's in our life that doesn't belong and being willing to put it on the altar so that it can die. Think of all the ways you make sacrifices in your life because of God and his purposes for your life. These are modern moments of building altars before God that sacrifice something to him. This too is the pathway of worship, building in us the virtue of peace. Somebody say it's about to get personal again. Exodus 20 verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Why, why does it say or there? Because God already recognized that not every idol is something that's tangible. You can make things in your mind and in your heart that you begin to idolize. They can be tangible. They can be intangible. But Exodus 20, verse 4, this is one of the Ten Commandments. It's right up there at the top. It says, don't do it. You, you cannot idolize the reason you cannot idolize is because that which I idolize determines the manner of my sacrifice. That which I idolize determines the manner of my sacrifice. We sacrifice purity because we idolize lust. You know what the difference between lust and celebrated pleasure is? It's simply the boundary that God puts in the Bible. It's just a boundary. God's a God of pleasure. He created pleasure. He wasn't surprised that people had the capacity of pleasure. He wanted that to be a part of the human experience. It moves from celebrated godly pleasure to lust when it gets outside of the boundary. We talk about boundaries at this church a lot. Christianity is boundary living because he's trying to protect us from mediocrity. He doesn't want us to settle for less. There's lots of boundaries that come with human sexuality and physical pleasure. It's God's idea that marriage is one man, one woman, for a lifetime, with a sexual relationship that doesn't begin until after marriage. 
We say that gracefully. We say that lovingly. But we say it unapologetically because it is a boundary that God gives to us. And for too many people, they sacrifice purity because they idolize lust. We sacrifice marriage because we idolize pride. If you don't know why those two go together, then you're not married. We sacrifice giving because we idolize materialism. We sacrifice relationship because we idolize conflict. We sacrifice eternity because we idolize temporal pleasures. We sacrifice destiny because we idolize comfort and we sacrifice integrity because we idolize winning. We could just keep going on and on and on. In fact, some of you, you should make a list for yourself. I sacrifice, you fill in the blank. Because I idolize, you fill in the blank. What's interesting about this list that I feel like God gave to me this week is that if you put some words in here that are a little bit different, the actual items that are in here, they're not supposed to change. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm supposed to sacrifice lust because I adore purity. See, the difference between idolizing something and adoring something is that when I idolize something, it takes the place of God in my life. But when I adore something, it means that I'm celebrating an expectation that God has for me for his greater glory. So I'm willing to sacrifice lust because I adore purity. I'm willing to sacrifice pride because I adore marriage. I sacrifice materialism because I adore giving. I sacrifice conflict because I adore relationships. And I sacrifice temporal pleasures because I adore eternity. I sacrifice comfort because I adore destiny. And I sacrifice winning because I endure integrity. Create your list. What you're going to find is the list that you need to stop doing is the same list that you need to start doing. You just got to start sacrificing the other things so you can endure the right thing. But really what it is is if you start adoring the right thing, then you'll start sacrificing the right things. Because the principle of Exodus 20 verse 4 is that which I idolize determines the manner of my sacrifice. God doesn't put that in the beginning of the Ten Commandments because he's egotistical. He doesn't put that in the beginning of the Ten Commandments because he's got a, he, he's, he's got a, a problem with, with the, him getting all the attention. That's not who he is. He, it's in there in the beginning of the Ten Commandments for us. He's saying, no, 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 no. Don't you make idols and start worshiping the wrong things because if you do that, you're going to start sacrificing the wrong things and you will miss out on the heaven on earth that I created you to walk in. Altars that sacrifice. How many of you here tonight, you lack the virtue of peace in your life because you're sacrificing the wrong things on altars of idolatry? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So we got to this point last week and we talked about the story of Jesus calming the storm. Remember that if you were here? About how Jesus was asleep in the boat and this, this powerful image of Jesus being a person of peace. And the peace in him is the peace that he brought to the situation. And then the other emphasis of this story was him challenging the disciples in their lack of faith, which is all what we talked about last week. Well, guess what? There's another powerful account of Jesus calming a storm, but this time he doesn't start in the boat. He starts outside the boat. And in fact, this story is given to us in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. 
And all three of these accounts of Jesus calming the storm begins with him walking on the water. And whenever you're reading in the Gospels, one of the things that you should begin to discipline yourself to do is to ask the question, is this story in any of the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Because it's, if it's in one of the other Gospels, you should take the time to read that because God is trying to give you the full story through four different perspectives. Sometimes the story is just in one Gospel, and if that's the case, you trust that the Holy Spirit is giving that person everything that we need. But if it's in three or four, then that's God saying, hey, there's a lot happening here, and I want you to get the full picture. This one's in four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. Matthew 14 tells us that Jesus chastises them once again for their lack of faith. Why is that? Because it's what we've been studying in the story of Gideon. If you're going to experience peace, you've got to start first from a place of faith. Mark 6 tells us, which we've preached on this before, it says that Jesus intended to pass them by. They're in this boat. They're in the middle of this incredible storm. They're frightened to death. Water's washing over into the boat. They're convinced that they're going to sink. They're so far away from land, they can't go back to where they started, and they can't get to where they're going. They've been rowing for hours, and it says they look up, and there's Jesus, their friend, their rabbi, walking on the water. And it says that he intended to pass them by. Well, we know Jesus didn't intend to pass them by. Just they felt like he intended to pass them by because that's what being in a storm feels like. You feel forgotten by God. John 6, I love John 6. This is a story where Peter walks on the water, then he begins to sink, right? Then they get back in the boat. I love the detail that John 6 gives us. It says that after Jesus got into the boat, they immediately reached their destination. It's that ministry of teleportation, again, that keeps happening in the Bible. They're here, and then they're there, and the storm was over. I'm just telling you, you can't get away from it. In all of these stories, again and again, old or new, if you're in a storm, God is looking at you, and he's saying, you be the source of peace in your circumstance because that virtue is inside of you. And one of the things that's important for us to understand tonight is if you wait until the storm comes to try to begin to build peace, that's really hard. One of the reasons why we're supposed to be committed to this work of building our character is to prepare for what things might come in the future. There is a storm waiting for you in your future, I'm sorry to tell you. If you're in one now, there's more coming. God says, you gotta believe that peace is possible. And if you can walk in this place of faith and believing that peace is possible, he begins to whisper in your ear, you be the source of peace. Let the peace that is in you become the peace that's out here. Stand with me. Father, as we worship together tonight, I pray that there are some people here that are going to take some steps in their altar of declaration. That maybe they're going to engage and participate in some aspect of worship, maybe like they never have before. Because now they're realizing that this isn't about them, it's about you. And when we make it about you, then you begin to do great things in us. And maybe for somebody else that's here tonight, Father, that, 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 that the altar of declaration isn't supposed to be their next step. It's this, this idea of the altar of sacrifice. And maybe they're realizing they've been idolizing the wrong things that's causing them to sacrifice the wrong things. And maybe for them that you're going to whisper some things into the ear. And yeah, it might get messy and it might get ugly, but, but that they've got to begin to let go of some things that they've been idolizing so that there's room in their life to adore the right things so that they'll begin to sacrifice the right things.
Jesus, at the end of the day, we just want to look like you. When it's all said and done and we get to our last days and we breathe our last breath, we, we want to have made all the progress that was humanly possible for our life, for our journey, for our experience to look more like your son. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said, amen. Let's worship together.